Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Matt Dembski continues our series on parables. Matt teaches on the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value in Matthew 13, verses 44 through 45. He unpacks these two parables and talks about how following Jesus is worth it and how we have great value to God. We hope you enjoy this message. All right, guys. So before, um, while you guys were doing limbo, I passed out something to you guys. You should have a little slip, uh, slip of paper with some verses on it. Does anyone not have that? Does anyone not have that? Matthew 13. If you need one, just raise your hand high, and uh, Rachel Baylor will come and deliver you some. She's going to be doing a little bit of running. Raise them real high, guys. We don't have a projector tonight. There are no slides tonight. I don't know if you know this, but we're outside, so... I didn't know who might bring their Bibles or, uh, or not or whatever, so I decided, man, let's just, these are like old-fashioned slides. When I was your all's age, going to church, we didn't have projectors. We didn't have electricity. We didn't have any of that. So we had to do it like this, by candlelight, all right? So, all right, cool. Well, guys, welcome. I'm glad you guys are, are here. This is our outdoor service. You guys having a good time so far? Yeah? <laughs> Okay, cool, man. You guys are like, yeah, I mean, it is hot. It is a little sticky. We tried to serve you guys well by putting up these fans. I don't think, I don't think anyone can feel them because we set them up on that side of the field and the sun crept that way, so no one went that way. This is a very lopsided crowd. I'm, I'm talking to like 10 and 50. This is, a, this is an odd feeling right now, but hey, we're, we're glad you guys are here. We love you guys, and um, man, we just had such a great summer with you all. Give it up for our interns. They've been incredible. I mean, golly, they're awesome. Hannah, there you are, sister. But, um, but man, yeah, we're just thankful you guys are here. We love you. Over this summer, we've been going through parables, parables of Jesus. And uh, if you've missed a few weeks or if it's your first time here or whatever, man, welcome. Welcome back. And if you don't even know what the word parables means, no sweat, all right? But these were Jesus's favorite way to teach. So obviously Jesus had like sermons, he had some clear teaching, he had these like instructive things, the golden rule that we still talk about today, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Like we have these very clear teachings of Jesus, but his favorite way to teach was in something called parables. And the word parable literally means to put this nugget of information beside of you, to like set it right beside of your brain I'm not gonna give it to you, I'm gonna set it beside of you and I'm gonna force you to wrestle with it. This was his favorite way to teach. Parables were not intended to be clear. Parables were not intended to be really even all that understood, which is kind of bizarre. Like if you think about Jesus coming, God in the flesh, and his very, very limited time on earth, Jesus was only on earth for 33 years. And of that 33 years, he only did ministry for three Like if you think, wow, he had some limited time to teach and to do ministry, and surely he wouldn't be confusing, and he was all the time. Parables were his favorite way to teach, to teach in this way, to teach uh, in this method that takes this nugget of wisdom, puts it alongside of your brain, and just leaves it there. He doesn't gift wrap application for you. He doesn't give you three take-homes that all start with the same letter. He doesn't do that. There's no sticky statement. It's just a story that Jesus is talking about, and he's asking you to wrestle with it. Most people who came to hear Jesus teach, they came out because he's the miracle man, right? 
Like, man, maybe today we're going to get to see him do a miracle, heal somebody, make some bread out of nothing, make some bread rain from heaven. Who knows what we're going to get to see Jesus do, so let's go see him. Most people didn't flock to Jesus because of his teaching. And so when Jesus taught in these parables, you either had to kind of dismiss it, like, dude, that was bizarre. What was he talking about? I have no idea, man. But he healed that blind guy. Did you see that? That was cool. And they kept following him. So you either have to dismiss it or wrestle with it. And that's kind of the point of parables, these mysterious ways that Jesus taught. Even his own disciples, like his inner circle, his, his crew, his squad, like they came up to him and they're like, hey, Jesus, we don't know if you know this, but no one knows what you're talking about, bro. Like you're confusing everybody out there. And Jesus is like, I know, it's kind of my thing. And they're like, okay, cool, man. Just, just wanted to let you know. So these parables, and we're gonna continue in our parable series tonight. I have uh, the verses I printed for you. It's not just one parable, it's actually two. It's in the book of Matthew, the, the fourth book in the, in the New Testament, written by a guy named Matthew. In chapter 13, verses 44 and 45, these are actually two parables. Each one is only one verse, so they're not very long. I mean, imagine if, if like you received a challenge, God challenged you, hey, I want you to teach the people, but only use one sentence and then you're done. And this is really what Jesus was doing. Like, all right, here's one. And then he finished. So each one of these parables are one sentence long, but in this sentence, in this one sentence, he's summing up like this very mysterious concept of what he's about, of who he is. Matthew 13 and these two verses, verses 44 and 45. So here's what I want us to do. Most weeks, you guys come, I've studied the text, I've marinated in the text, and then I deliver that text. You guys hear it, hopefully apply it, hopefully dig it, then you go. More than likely, you forget about it. I'm not offended. I know how that works, all right? You're going home to binge watch something, catch up on Stranger Things, who knows, MacGyver's new show. I don't know what you guys are doing, all right? Team Billy for life, you know what I mean? Um, it's true, man. He's a good kid. He's a good kid, guys. Um, but tonight, instead of me just delivering something I've been wrestling with over this past week, I want to invite you to wrestle with it first. I mean, that's really what the parables are designed to do. Here's this thing that Jesus teaches, and it invites the listeners to wrestle with it. In his day, there weren't like these pastors going around like decoding and unpacking. Here's what he really meant by this. Upon first hearing, the people kind of had to make the decision, do we want to wrestle with this or not? And so before I even teach tonight, I want to invite you into a time of wrestling. That's why I have the papers for you in hand. I want to invite you to, to kind of clump up in some groups, groups of three, four, five, just the people around you is fine. And I already know what you're feeling, like this thing just churned in your belly and you're like, dude, please, man. Like, I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want anyone coming to my bubble. Like, I've got personal space issues. I didn't come here to, to, to socialize. I just came here to sit and receive. And that's kind of the problem. Like, when you do that, you don't wrestle with it. And parables are designed for you to wrestle with. So I want you to talk to each other. I want you to rub shoulders. Get in groups, three, four, five, or bigger, whatever you want to do. Here's what I'm asking. Read the two verses, Matthew 13, 44 and Matthew 13, 45, and read them out loud as a group. Like hear them, read them, follow along with them. And then I want you to answer this one simple question. What do these verses mean? Verse, 45, verse 44, what does it mean? Verse 45, what does it mean? and come to some conclusions as a group. And I'm gonna be walking around here in a couple of minutes and I'm gonna ask, hey, what do you guys think it means? What do you guys think it means? What do you... And I want us to share, so wrestle with it, all right? You guys have a few minutes to do this. Clump up, read it out loud, 
decide on your own. What is Jesus talking about? What does this mean when he's saying this? Two verses, that's it, all right? Go ahead, I'm gonna give you guys a few minutes to do that. Go ahead. All right, so guys, I walked around, I talked to the groups, I got some good, I know I didn't talk to yours, I'm sorry, Brian. I got some good insight, not every group, okay, my bad, I know you guys in the back, I'm sorry, you guys in the middle, I'm sorry, okay. Uh, I got some good insight, and you guys are digging in, and, and you're, you're digging into the scriptures, which is really, really cool. So remember, Jesus, very limited time on earth, very limited time to be teaching, and of the three years that he's doing ministry, he teaches in these riddleish, mysterious ways in which he's communicating truths about the kingdom of God and which we believe Jesus brought with him, like this invisible realm, but mainly the reign of Jesus, right? He, he brought it. It's so close you can reach out and touch it. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. That's, his first utterance was this. So he's talking about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like this. And then in order to help us learn about this mysterious heavenly invisible realm and reign of Jesus, he uses an earthly example. And so in verse 44, he starts talking about a treasure. Man, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a treasure hidden in a field. And Jesus would always do this. He's communicating heavenly truths through earthly realities. That's the formula of a parable. So it's like a treasure hidden in a field and a man discovers. Now this is a really uh, weird and kind of bizarre way for us to think about how someone just comes across a fortune. Even though like a few years ago, that family discovered all those gold coins buried in their backyard. I don't know what they were doing, maybe putting a plant in and they discovered like gold coins worth millions of dollars in their backyard. Like, man, that couldn't happen. Like 121 East Woodburn, you know what I'm talking about? Like just digging it up. So this is odd. We don't think in this way. Like how did he come across a treasure? It's just hidden in a field. It's just there. That seems odd. That seems random. And the story Jesus is telling is literally a, a guy was crossing a field. Maybe it was a shortcut for him. Maybe he was on his way home from work. Maybe this was his route. We don't know. But a guy was crossing a field and comes across this treasure, this idea of like kind of stubbed his toe on it or, or stumbled over it. In other words, it's been long forgotten Whoever put it there has forgotten about it. Maybe they've died. Maybe they never told anyone about it. And it seems odd. Like, why would someone bury a treasure in a field? Like, surely piracy was not like a huge thing in Jesus's day, at least not like right here. No, it didn't have to do with that. It was actually more to do with the financial system. There weren't banks like we know them. And if you were wealthy, if you had a ton of money and you wanted to protect that wealth, then you would bury it. You would find a nice safe place somewhere. You would remember how to get there and you would bury your treasure. This was like their vault of that culture. They didn't have banks to put their money in so they would bury it. And somehow whoever buried this treasure has forgotten about it. Either they passed away, they didn't pass along the secret. Maybe they, maybe they themselves forgot, who knows. But this guy is crossing this field and comes across this treasure, Jesus says. He bends down, he, he kind of sees this this edge of something, maybe it was shiny or maybe it was wooden, we don't know, but he sees this edge of something and, and he kind of scoops away the dirt and starts brushing away all this dirt and dust and, and you know, kind of gets down on his knees maybe and whew, like blows it and he realizes, man, this, there's something here. And he starts digging, he starts digging, he starts digging 
and he realizes that he has found an incredibly valuable treasure, more valuable than anything else, clearly, because he's willing to give up everything else for it. He finds this treasure, he opens it up, and it's this enormous abundance of riches. Jesus is painting this picture of how grand this treasure is. It was so massive, the scriptures say, that the guy uh, went and sold everything that he had to acquire the field in which the treasure was buried. And it's not just that he goes and sells everything that he has. The scriptures say in his joy, he goes and sells everything that he has. The profits of all that selling, maybe he had a huge garage sale. He got on the Hebrew Craigslist, Craigslist, whatever they had back then. He did all this stuff with the profits of that money in his joy. He sells it all. And then he goes to buy that field. Why does he buy the field? To acquire the treasure within. This is Jesus's parable in Matthew 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a guy who stumbles upon a treasure in a field and in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has to buy the field. As I talked to some of you guys, you guys were hitting the nail on the head in terms of like, man, this seems like what Jesus is talking about is that the kingdom of God is so valuable, it is so incredible that once we discover what it is, we should joyfully, willingly give up everything to acquire it. In other words, It would be an incredible trade in life if you could have the kingdom of God at the cost of everything else in your life. You would be on like the beneficiary of the greatest deal in history is kind of the point of this parable. Now, what's interesting is Jesus actually doesn't require this, does he? Like for you to believe in him, you didn't have to go and sell a ton of stuff. The kingdom of God can't be bought. That's not the point of the parable. Don't press that detail too hard. It's not that you have to do all this stuff in order to acquire the kingdom. What Jesus is really teaching in Matthew 44 is that once you realize what the kingdom is, in your joy, you would willingly give up everything for the sake of the kingdom. Like that's his main point. And one of the reasons I love this, this particular parable is because I think it cuts to the heart of a lot of our American culture in terms of how we approach our faith and belief system in Jesus. So one of the most common questions that I, that I have or, or common conversations that I have with people is, is it worth it? Man, is it worth it? Like to follow Jesus to be, to be committed to him, is it worth it? And the truth is, guys, like you've got to realize most of you have grown up in the South. Most of you have grown up in a culture that promotes you going to church. Most of us have families, if not our immediate family, somewhere in our family are believers, people who would claim, yeah, I believe in Jesus. It is such a cultural norm here that most of us had ne- have never had to come face-to-face, smack dab in the middle of a tension of, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do I really believe this? Like, I grew up with this. But do I really believe this? Like, have I ever made it my own? When did I decide this? And one of the most common questions I get from students is, is it worth it? Like, dude, I, I, I want to follow Jesus. Like, I really want to give my life to him, but is it worth it? You're evaluating the next few years. Like, dude, I, I, I might want to go to a college of my own choosing. You know what I mean? 
I, wanna, I might want to study something that I desire to study. I, want, I might want to live somewhere that I desire to live. I might want to date someone that I desire to date. If I believe in Jesus, what if he comes along and says, no, 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 I want you to go to this college. I want you to study this thing, or I want you to be a missionary in this country, or I don't want you to date, or I want you to be single forever. Man, I, dude, like I'm not really ready to make these kind of sacrifices to follow Jesus. So tell me, bro, is it worth it? And that's the point of Jesus' parable in Matthew 13, 44, that when someone comes across the kingdom of God, it is like a treasure hidden in a field. It's not how you thought it would be. Like, this isn't where a treasure belongs, surrounded by dirt and mud and rocks. This isn't where it's supposed to be. This isn't where I'm supposed to stumble across this thing. And that's kind of Jesus' subversive way to talk about the kingdom. It's not like you thought it was. You might have discovered it in the least of all expected places. Like maybe your faith in Jesus or your curiosity about Jesus did not begin at church. I've had some incredible conversations with people about Jesus in the city, like in restaurants, outside of church. And for them, maybe they never thought, yeah, I'm probably going to hear about Jesus today when I go down to Five Forks in Simpsonville or whatever, or at the grocery store at Publix. Jesus is saying, man, it's, it's this thing, like you, you kind of stumble across it at some point in your life. And if you pause long enough to figure out what you just stubbed your toe over and you dig in a little bit, you realize this is the most incredible treasure you could ever acquire. And it is worth everything. This is Jesus's point of Matthew 13, 44. To sacrifice everything and you'd still be on the better end with the kingdom of God to have a supreme God, an all-loving God, an all-knowing God, a God who, who always has your best in mind and your good in mind, to have him be the leader of your life at all times and be guiding your path is the best possible deal for you to be in. But we think in terms of like, well, what would I have to give up? Like, would I really like have to give up maybe my future? Would I have to give up what I wanna do, my job, my boyfriend, my girlfriend? Like, would I have to give up all these American dreams that I have? Dude, I just don't know. And Jesus's point and what he would press into you is, do you think I'm worth it? If you think I'm worth it, then, then it's not even a sacrifice. If you think I'm worth it, then you make those decisions in joy. Like, just like the guy in the, in the, passage. In joy, he went and he sold it all. Like he gave it all away. Think about that for a minute. Like we read this kind of from a distance. We don't necessarily plug ourselves into the story. What did he give away? What did he sell? We don't know. But what if it was like our lives? In his joy, he goes home. He goes immediately to his closet. He, he grabs all of his clothes, except maybe an outfit or two, and he creates an Instagram account called Bob's Closet, where people can go and shop his clothes, and he starts selling them. He goes and he takes, oh, John, I'm so sorry, man. He goes and he takes his Nintendo Switch, he puts it up on Craigslist, man. I'm sorry, dude, I had to go there. I know that's like a sin to talk about. But he goes and he takes his Xbox One or his Nintendo Switch or his PS4 or whatever, and he just starts selling it, selling the games. Doesn't matter how much progress he's made. Doesn't matter how into it he is. Doesn't matter that his friends all play. Doesn't matter that he might not feel like he now fits into a group anymore. He goes and he sells his car, if he's got one. Man, I've seen some of the cars you guys drive. They are nicer than anything I've ever owned in my life. He goes and he, he gets his jacked up truck with a lift kit and it's covered in mud except for a little piece on the window so he can see out and thinks he's all cool. And he goes and he sells it. He takes the brand new Jeep Wrangler that his parents just bought him and he goes and he sells it. Everything this guy owns, 
his phone, his clothes, his car, his possessions, his dog. I don't know about the dog. But everything he owns, he goes and he sells. In his joy, he goes and he willingly gives those up to acquire the kingdom. Again, Jesus is not teaching here, hey, if you want the kingdom, you got to first like give it all up and then purchase it. So to speak. Nope, that's not Jesus' point. Jesus' point is, no, 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 no. When you realize what the kingdom of God is, it would be to your ultimate benefit, like the best possible reality for you would be to be in this kingdom and it's worth everything. It's worth every sacrifice you can make and it's still better than anything in this life you currently have. That's Jesus's point. The kingdom of God is a treasure hidden in a field and when you discover what it is and you realize what it is, this is the kingdom. You give everything up for it. Some of you guys kind of summed it up this way, all in, like all or nothing. And I love that. It's this idea of like, man, when you follow Jesus, you follow him all the way. Recently, I met up with an old friend of mine. She's actually a, uh, an old student of mine. She was in high school a long time ago now, but she's an old student of mine. And she's really been wrestling in her faith these past few years. She called me a couple of years ago when she was a freshman in college. She uh, decided to go to App State University. And I talked to her about you know, hey, if you go here, I just want you to be ready and be prepared. Like, here's the culture you're stepping into, and here's how living out your faith might look in this culture. And she knew. She knew what she was getting into. It's hard to be a Christian in college, like a, a true Christian. It can be real hard. She called me her freshman year, and she's just wrestling, man. Like, dude, I don't, mad. like, how do I, like, she's just asking all these questions. I don't even know if I believe in Jesus anymore. And this was like one of my most solid girls in high school. But this is kind of part of the process, right? Like she's just wrestling with all these beliefs and she's never wrestled with before. And so she's asking these questions. I don't know if I, if I believe in them. I, I, dude, I don't know if I can make the long haul on this. I just don't know. I feel so much like an outsider here. I feel like no one else really believes what I believe. I feel like if I actually stood up for Jesus and my faith, I would just be so like ostracized and marginal. Like I just... Dude, I, I'm just wrestling with my faith. And the crossroads she was at is, does she want to continue her belief in Jesus and feel like an outsider, or does she want to let that go so that she can feel accepted and normal in this culture and crowd? It's a pretty normal crossroads. And she was wrestling. She wrestled her freshman year. We, I walked her through that freshman year and just helped her like think through some things. Sophomore year, she's been wrestling. And this past summer, uh, she had an interesting experience she, she went overseas um, with a missionary friend of hers and just kind of lived for, for a little while and was reminded of the beauty and the simplicity of Jesus. She went to a culture that she didn't really speak the language. She went to a culture where they really don't have much. It's a very impoverished culture. And she just saw the joy that they have without anything. And something about the simplicity of Jesus resonated in her heart and soul for the first time in years. And she came back to the States and I just met up with her last week to kind of follow up with her. And she's walking me around her heart and she's navigating me through these nooks and crannies. And she's telling me like, dude, it's so, I can't believe I forgot just how simple Jesus is and how amazing he is and how much joy he offers. That's Matthew 13, 44. 
that when you understand who the, what the kingdom is and you understand who the king is, it gives you such a joy to be willing to let go of everything for the sake of this kingdom. That's what Jesus is talking about. Is it worth it? Yes, it's worth it. It's the point of Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom is worth every sacrifice you could ever make. And I know they're hard. I'm not trying to make them light, but it is worth it. The second verse, Matthew 13, 45, is interesting because when you read it right after reading 44, you pretty much think, oh, Jesus is saying the same thing. Like the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl. Oh, that's cool. But I actually think this is one of the most misunderstood verses of Jesus, one of the most misunderstood parables of Jesus. When you read them in order, your mind is already thinking kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. So when you read this, you're like, oh, kingdom of heaven is like a pearl. But that's not what Jesus says. Verse 45, Jesus actually says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. It's not the pearl. It's not the treasure, is it? It's the merchant. It's different. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. It sounds so similar. If you're reading too quick, you think, oh, same, same thing. Jesus is just saying the kingdom is worth it. The kingdom is worth it. It's worth everything. It's worth everything. We should acquire it. If you read it quick, that's what you think. I actually think Jesus is talking about something different. I think he flips the story. See, in verse 44, I think Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that we find. We stumble across it. We weren't necessarily looking for it, but, but now that we know what it is, we, we in our joy give up everything to follow Jesus, this king, and we have this treasure acquired. But verse 45, I think the story is flipped. It's not about, it's not about someone stumbling a, upon a treasure and realizing it's the kingdom. The kingdom in verse 45 is the one who's hunting for a treasure. It's different. I actually think verse 45 is about God looking for us. I think verse 45 is that the, the one who is doing the hunting is God looking for his children. This would go in line with some of Jesus' teaching, I have come to seek and save the lost. I'm here to treasure hunt, so to speak, and my treasure are my people. It's interesting, if you look all the way back in Genesis, the book of Genesis, chapter one, verse 26, 27, say that we were created in the image of God, that we bear the image of God. When God creates everything in Genesis, you kind of read along and God says, yep, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. But when he comes to us, he says, very good. That word good literally means precious or valuable. So as God is making everything, he's saying, that's valuable, that's valuable, that's valuable. And when it comes to us, he says, that is extremely valuable. That's my treasure, in other words. Verse 45 is about a merchant in search of something of great value. Something very, very uh, like a treasure. A few years ago, I was uh, traveling through Italy. And usually when I go on trips, no matter where I'm going, I, I'm always thinking like, what's the one thing I can get for my bride? Like, what's the one thing I can bring home and surprise her and come through the door and just have it in hand? And she's going to be like, oh, boo-boo, that's so good. Oh, I love you. Let's go to the bedroom. I'm kidding. Lighten up, okay? I'm married. It's a covenant. Relax. Anyway, I'm always thinking about <laughs> Johnny, <laughs> my man. <laughs> I'm always thinking about my wife. So a few years ago, I'm traveling through Italy, and we're in this, um, we're in this medieval town 
uh, it's a, a medieval town that's been converted into like a modern day type town, really interesting. And it's in the hills of Tuscany. And I meet this woman who handcrafts jewelry. Now, I don't know if you know this about my wife, but my wife is a very, very simple girl. She's not like, I, I don't need a ton. I don't take a long time to get ready. Like, dude, you don't have to spoil me with a ton of stuff. She's just so simple. Like, she's just so content in life. The things that matter the most to her are people, not stuff. But even so, I always try to, like, surprise her with something. I've learned over the years, she, like, I'll get her jewelry or whatever. She doesn't wear it. I'll buy her, like, some dope shoes or clothes. She doesn't wear them. I'll get her blah, blah, blah. She doesn't wear them. I take a photo on my phone of, like, somewhere we were, and later she'll see him. She's like, ooh, give me that. I'm like, okay, baby, okay, baby. Like, I, I got you now. But this was back in the days before I had stopped trying to buy jewelry for her. I was still convinced one day I can find the right thing. I can find the right one. It's never happened. But this woman in Tuscany, this medieval town, she hand makes jewelry. And I'm looking at her stuff, and it's really unique. Like, it's, like, I don't understand. She's Italian. She's trying to talk to me, and I have no idea what she's saying. I'm, like, scraping by. I don't quite understand the pricing like, I know how euros work and the conversion rates and all that, but I'm just looking at numbers, you know what I mean? But it's like, I don't know. Like, I'm asking her quanto costa, and she's, like, telling me all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, she quanto costa capuza. And she's telling me, I'm like, I don't know, man. But, but I see this one piece, and I'm like, I got to have it. I got to have it. And I'm looking at the numbers, and it's not triple digits. You know what I mean? So at least I know it's under 100 euros. <laughs> so I have some semblance of what's going on here. And I just decide I got to have this thing. And so I bought this, this piece of jewelry from my wife, and it, and it just so happened to be, it's this string of Japanese pearls, which are different than, than regular pearls. It's this string of Japanese pearls with this, with this blue cut stone on the end. I have it in my pocket here tonight. I brought it to show you guys. This is the piece I, I bought from my bride uh, in, in Italy. And I just thought it was dope, man. Like, I'd never seen Japanese pearls. They're different. They're, like, flat. But they're really, really cool. Here, Katie, you can just check that out, man. Don't pass it around, okay? I want to bring it home. You know what I mean? But, um, but I bought this for her, and I thought, oh, dude, she's going to love this. I thought it was beautiful. Like, that color blue, she always loves that color blue. Like, she wears it. She has other jewelry. I was like, oh, I got it. I got it. And, I, and without even really worrying about the cost, I bought it. I was in search of something. Everywhere I went in Italy, I was searching. I was searching, ah, not this, not this. I don't like that, ah, not this. I did get her some fly, like, peep-toe shoes, like these stilettos. They were so dope, girls. You know what I'm saying? She liked those. But, um, but, but this piece of jewelry, he knows what peep-toes are. But this piece of jewelry, I just thought, dude, this is my wife. Like, it's, sim it's simple. It's not super elegant. It's like these cool pearls. And, dude, at that point, relatively speaking, the cost was not the big deal for me. I knew what I wanted. I was on a hunt and I found it. And what Jesus is teaching in Matthew 13, 45 is that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. He is looking for something of great value. And when he comes across this great pearl, he sells everything that he has to acquire it. The cost is of no consideration to the merchant. He found it. He wants it. He's going to get it. Little Ariana Grande theology going on there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's in my head too. That's what Jesus is talking about. All the way back to Genesis 2, you are very good. You are very valuable. Jesus said, I've come to seek and save the lost. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that when you find it, you would give up everything for it. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant and he's looking for objects of great value. And when he finds them, he gives up everything for them. I think verse 45 is about God. 
searching for his children, seeking us out. And the cost was the life of his own son. And you have to understand that, the significance of how much you cost to buy the life of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus on a cross, that in the eyes of God, hear me out, in the eyes of God, you are worth the death of his son. That's the amount of value he puts on you. And God seeks you out. You are the object of great value and he is the merchant looking for you. And he spent everything to acquire you without any hesitation. You are very valuable. The two questions that that students ask me the most over the years, is it worth it to follow Jesus? Jesus would say, yeah. The second question students ask me is, but am I worth it? Like, do I have worth? Like God wants me? Man, all my failures, like all my insecurities, the brokenness, the shame I carry, all this performance I I try to put on to, to acquire people's love, he wants me? Am I worth it? Jesus would say, yeah. You are the greatest treasure hunt heaven's ever seen. Jesus is worth it. You are worth it. That's the point of these two verses that Jesus is teaching. I don't think it's the same parable over and over. I think it's two different things. The kingdom is worth everything, and you are worth everything to the kingdom. That's the point of what Jesus is trying to talk about. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you uh, for your word. Man, just to marinate in these two verses. Is it worth it to follow you, Jesus? Is it worth it to give up everything to live for you, to follow you? Yeah, it is. Nothing compares. Jesus, our are we, are we worth it? Yeah. You're worth it because of the worth my father gave to you when he created you. You're worth my death. You've been bought with a price. Jesus, we thank you for the truth of these words. We're humbled by them. We're blown away by them. We love you.